Colazo. Only one more week of silence. And today will be the last sequence and the last round. I won't do another cycle. We'll have silent meditation and time, much more time for question and answer that have been largely neglected or I've shoved aside over the last several days. But we will end on this wonderful note of equanimity for which the Mahayana liturgy reads, as you may recall, may we all be free of attachment and aversion to those who are near and far. Or maybe, no, more literally, better. I bet I need to do it in Tibetan, then I translate. Senjin tamjin yedin chadan yedan dewe tanyon and nevar gyochi. Or nenat jimarung. Why couldn't we all? Why couldn't we all abide in equanimity, free of attachment and aversion to those who are near and far? Jimarung. Why couldn't we be? Nevar gyochi. May we dwell in such equanimity. May I bring this about, that we abide in such equanimity. So may the Guru, the, the Buddhas, the deities, bless me that I may be so enabled. So there's that marvelously rich liturgy. Attachment to those near and far. Or attachment to those who are near. Aversion to those who are far. Quite easy to understand. On the one hand. On the other hand, especially in this context of modernity, this is not true for all of humanity, east-west, throughout centuries and centuries. This does seem to be something of a modern malady, and you know what I'm probably, you probably know what I'm going to refer to. This whole syndrome, Eurocentric, but now spreading, oh, like a virus, of low self-esteem, self-hatred, self-contempt, all of that business. Uh, when that happens, when we look down upon ourselves, being really tough on ourselves, you know, not liking ourselves, then clearly we ourselves have become someone who is distant, right? Alienated. I look myself in the mirror, I look at my thoughts, I look at my behavior, and on that basis I impute I am, but somebody a little bit distant from me and rather disagreeable, not pleasing, someone don't like much, wish you take a hike. Why don't you just leave and leave me by myself? I don't have any qualities at all, except I'm really good at judging. <laughs> right? So, to tie this in, to tie this in with the practice from yesterday and the day before, the afternoon practices, as we're probing inwards, we're doing that oscillation, like a swing coming in, in upon the agent. Well, who is that agent? It's the person who's judging all the time who never gives us a break, who's relentless, sometimes merciless, you know, depending on who you are. So who is it? Show your face. Let me judge you for a change. <laughs> You've been judging me all along. Who are you? What makes you so special? What is the appearance of that agent in there, that monitor, the one who's observing critically? You know? Observing it, swinging in deeper, 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 until you swing in so deeply that you go in so deep inside that you transcend all the appearances. Whatever appearances you come in, okay, what's observing that appearance? What's observing that appearance? So it's almost like you're knifing through all the appearances into just awareness. And awareness is not judging, awareness is just awareness. As we release out beyond all appearances, just into objectlessness, 
So I've mentioned before, and I think it's I think it's the truth. And that is from this perspective of the coarse mind, our ordinary mind from day to day. And we take stock, we evaluate, and frankly we judge. It's not a bad word, but being judgmental is a bad word. But as we judge, we, as we evaluate, as we assess, as we take stock of, make sense of the people around us, and I'm referring especially to human beings, I think there's a deep truth in this, that we are always like artists, not scientists really, more like artists, and we are painting one by one, painting everybody who comes into our experience. And we paint them. Now, we don't paint their visual appearance. That's kind of, that's constrained by physical constraints, photons and things like that. But we don't just look at a body. This one's a little bit chubby. This one's skinny. This one's tall, short. Okay, that's it. Hmm. But we also paint a human being. What kind of a person are you? And as I mentioned, I've mentioned a number of times, it seems to me that we're always painting from our own palette. And so consider whether it might be true that as we assess everybody, whether it's international figures like Obama or George Bush or Osama bin Laden or other world leaders, or whether it's people next door or family members, whoever it is, that they're all reflections of ourselves. As we assess them, we're always assessing them in terms of qualities that we find familiar. And familiar means we've experienced them. Having said that, well, we maybe read about a serial rapist and say, that's not me. I would never do that. You're probably right. Nevertheless, is there any common ground in that mental affliction? That's a grotesque example. Maybe I should find one other one. But there it is. There are such people. A bit too heavy. Let's say just a thief. Just a thief. Okay, that's, okay, that's nasty. It's not quite so utterly grotesque as a serial rapist. Okay, a thief. So, will we be, will we be a thief in this lifetime? Hopefully not. Not likely. But is there that tendency that if nobody were looking, is that tendency if I'd been born in another family, raised in another context, isn't that something that I can resonate with? And maybe that person is doing it more than I have. When I was a kid, I was a thief. For a short time. Short time. This was back in the 50s. And I liked bowling. Not much, but enough. And brill cream is a kind of hair, hair stuff you put on the hair. Really yucky stuff. And there was a little while when a local bowling alley would give you a free bowling game if you brought in a, an empty package, the box of brill cream. So my buddies and I, we just went off to the drugstore and stole the boxes and left the brill cream. We didn't want the brill cream. And we didn't really want to be thieves. We just wanted the cardboard box. And then we went off to bowling alley. You know, <laughs> all this brill cream, you know. And they gave us, the, you know, what did they have? No choice. So that's my confession. <laughs> I, too, am a thief. And I got away with it, you know. The drugstore never figured out why I had to have all these naked tubes of brill cream with no boxes, you know. It was me and my gang. You know, low-level thieves. You know, so thieving, I get it. Me and Madoff, you know, he made off with a few billion, some quite a few billion. And I made off with real green boxes. You know, if I'd just been better at it, I might have gone into the big leagues. You know, and so I, I get it with Madoff. I understand. That's me. That's me. And the thief, and so forth, and so on. So, 
the people we witness around us by way of the media, by way of our personal context, they may have brought these these vices, these mental afflictions, to extents, to degrees that we would not do. Fair enough, that's probably true. But nevertheless, we paint them with our own, with our own palettes. So if we can develop equanimity there, if we can develop equanimity for all the persons who arise in our own continuum from moment to moment, I'm a hostile person, I'm a jealous person, I'm a very kind person, I'm an incredibly stingy person, I'm such a generous person, I'm a serene person, and I'm a volatile person, and all of those are true. From moment to moment, conceptual designation, it's all true. In the midst of that, though, even though being emotionally volatile or selfish and so forth, they're very disagreeable, they're unwholesome qualities. They're not lovable at all. I don't want to love them. Nevertheless, the person who is encumbered by that, just like a person who gets the flu and then he gets measles and then he gets smallpox and then he somehow survives that and gets TB and then he gets this, and none of these are desirable. But the person who gets them, that person is human being like ourselves. So as we cultivate the compassion, the grand finale of the four immeasurables, the grand finale, great upeksha, great equanimity. Let's do this in the mode of, of Donglen. So I'm speaking now a little bit more so I can speak less while we're meditating. And there are two large-scale mo- or kind of broad modes or avenues of the practice. Both are very good. Both have good roots in major contemplative traditions in Tibetan Buddhism. One is the standard Donglen, where whoever comes to mind, whether it is we ourselves, as we attend to ourselves on occasions when we re- really manifesting very disagreeable, very unwholesome ways, others wholesome ways, others just neutral ways. But as we attend to ourselves, however we're manifesting, afflicted or non-afflicted, wholesome or unwholesome, and so forth, that there's always that constant flow, that constant flow of caring, of loving kindness, compassion for ourselves. And that whole harsh judgmental business just vanishes. Right? We recognize the mental affliction, we want to be free of it, but we don't fuse with it. So now we, we can see the relationship also with settling the mind in this natural state. These mental afflictions come unbidden, uninvited, just like the swine flu or measles or chicken pox and so forth. You know, they just come, right? And then they go. And so as we can watch them from that still space, from that naturally liberated mindfulness, as we become more adept in settling the mind, you see, ah, there comes a mental affliction. Ah, there it is, weaving itself around like a snake uncoiling itself in my mind. And there it dissipates, it vanishes without the cognitive fusion. As we see that we are not the mental afflictions, that we do not need to, how do you say, fuse our very identity with the mental afflictions, or with the virtues for that matter, then there can be an ongoing even flow of loving kindness and compassion for ourselves. The deeper the insight there, the more readily we can extend that insight to others. Says, oh, here's a person who's generally not very angry, but right now very angry, very unpleasant. The face is unpleasant. The sound of voice is unpleasant. What the person is saying is unpleasant. Very disagreeable. But that will pass. And there's a person who's afflicted right now. So we can feel compassion, feel loving kindness. Not for the anger, for the person. So, one way, classic Dongnan. Imagine drawing in the darkness, dissolving into heart, breathe out loving kindness. You familiar with that? And the second way, sometimes that's a bit heavy, doesn't quite just, doesn't fit, doesn't seem to be appropriate, then as you wish, you may just imagine, this, if your heart is open to such practice, just with each in-breath, just drawing in the blessings, the light, the benevolence, the compassion, the loving kindness, 
of all the awakened beings. If you have a guru with whom you have a strong relationship, then you by all means imagine the guru drawing in the blessings, the light, the love, and kindness. So there is the len part, the taking part, drawing that in. And then like a siphon or like an hourglass where all the sand comes from one side and then goes out the other side, like the fulcrum of the, of the hourglass, draw in all of that light and as you breathe out, out all sentient beings equally. So something like that. But taking on that resolve, may I bring us all to a state of equanimity. Even the great one taste of Dzogchen, the greatest of all equanimities, the one taste of samsara and nirvana, may I bring us all to such a profound and utter state of equilibrium, of evenness, beyond all dualistic grasping. May I do so. Then, of course, as that thought arises from the depths of your own Buddha nature, as that aspiration arises, then, of course, there has to be a little kind of follow-up. As we ask for the blessings, may I, be, may I be so enabled? Well, there's only one way I'll be enabled. Right. Have to achieve enlightenment ourselves. Not just wait for the next generation of Tibetan tukus to come along, as we Western parasites, like a little bunch of bedbugs, Kind of, you know, when one lama passes away, okay, just wait for the toku. Wait for the toku. <laughs> like, come on. When are we going to take on some of the burden? The Tibetans are doing this for the whole planet. Got tukus on all continents now. That's a wonderful thing. Especially when they're, you know, as the Sona says, not a disgrace to the Dharma. And most of them are not. Most of them are very good. And some are really quite awful. You know? That's a direct from his holiness. He wrote, he made a definitive statement about reincarnation quite recently. He said, some of these tukus, they're a disgrace. They may have Rinpoche, Rinpoche, Tuku, Tuku, hot shot, hot diggity dog lama, but still a disgrace. Okay, so we haven't, mustn't be carried away by titles. And, as some of his old timers know, so many of the tukus are really extraordinary beings. And other of with no titles at all. Gyan Shamawandu. Gyan just means older guy. Or teacher, Gen Chambawandu. Oh, fabulous. Gen Lamrimba. Nothing special, except for 30 years in retreat. Died in a clear light. Meditated 20 hours a day. No title, no Rinpoche, no Tuku, no nothing. Right? Spectacular. So, maybe we need to have more people. Among the proletariat. Enough aristocracy. The aristocracy of the born, born to be noble. Born, recognized at the age of three to be Tukus. Oh, another duke, another, another baron has been born in the great aristocracy of Tibetan Buddhism. That's cool. When they're authentic, it's wonderful. It's really, really wonderful. But of course, again, remember, no Tuku. no Tuku. Geshe no Tuku. Geshe no Tuku. So many of my most wonderful teachers have no big titles. Marvelous beings. So, Dharma workers of the world unite. (laughs) (laughs) And let us achieve nobility by becoming Aryas, by following the path becoming truly noble, okay? Then we can be of greater service to others. Oh yeah, find a comfortable position. <laughs>
Settle your body, speech, and mind in equanimity. Balance, poise between relaxation and vigilance. For just a couple of minutes, calm the chaotic, discursive mind with mindfulness of breathing, releasing, relaxing with every outbreath. Just a short while, settle your awareness and an evenness, an equilibrium as you watch the thoughts come and go from a place of stillness. As you settle your mind in its natural state. And then simply rest in that stillness of awareness, of being aware, with its own innate equanimity, equilibrium, balance.
and from this still point. Attend to yourself in your myriad manifestations over the course of your life. Manifesting in wholesome and unwholesome, agreeable and disagreeable ways. The mind clear, the mind dull. And from this clear and still space, breathe out this yearning of loving kindness. Breathing with compassion, that you may abide in perfect equanimity, free of all mental afflictions. And imagine perfect balance, that middle point between laxity and excitation, between aversion and craving, between samsara and nirvana.
then direct your awareness outwards, either deliberately focusing on individuals of your choice or simply allowing appearances to arise, and continue practicing as before.
imbue the practice with as much wisdom as you can, as you attend to others with a coarse mind, as you envision them, bring them to mind. Bear in mind that these people you encounter are co-creations. Certainly they do have characteristics independently of you, but we never see them as they are independently of ourselves. Always a fusion, an alloy of our own projections, our own interpretations. None of these people existing inherently as we perceive them. arising in relationship to our own modes of apprehension. View them evenly. Viewed from a deeper level, from the substrate consciousness, the appearances of all those around us, is in part a product of our own karma, the maturations of seeds in our own mind strings. But indeed there are other individuals independently of our own presence here. Again a co-creation. Other people indeed, but the way of appearing to us a product of our karma. Empty of inherent nature. View them evenly. And viewed from the deepest perspective, in pristine awareness, the appearance of all beings are nothing other than our own appearances. There is no one out there from their own side. 
own appearances. From a dimension beyond being identical or being different. View all from the perspective of this one taste. And breathe in, breathe out.
Release all appearances. Let your awareness rest in the evenness of its own presence. Clear and empty. Enjoy your day.